How's it going? How are things out there in Hawaii? It's uh, 87 degrees, a little, little uh, windy, but um, hey, it's paradise out here. Uh, <laughs> which island are you on? Uh, Oahu. So the one okay. with Honolulu and Waikiki and yeah, Diamond Head. Very nice. I was just there. When was I there? I was there, I guess, a year a year ago from January. It was pretty nice. Cool. Cool. Yeah, we need we need the tourists to come back. After yeah, this. what's it like there without the tourists? Uh, well, I don't know, man. I mean, I just stay at home all day long and <laughs> on my computer. Um, I don't surf. Um, I probably need to get some hobbies. Just just keep buying uh. real estate, investing, and podcasting <laughs> myself. So. <laughs> Have you ever served or it just isn't um, I have. I have. You know, I what I tell people, it's very akin to like, you know, if you're some dude that lives up in Minnesota, like everybody's gone hunting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even people who don't like hunting and just like to play video games all day long have gone hunting and know how to do it. So that's similar to kind of me and surfing. That's cool. I feel like people who aren't from California assume that all – California peeps like live on the beach and you know live that lifestyle too or they live in like Hollywood or something so it's probably some stereotype it's like no no I live out in the boonies don't worry (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's funny because I was in Minnesota uh, a year ago and I was there with some people and they're like they asked me what I like to do in California for fun. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I surf. <laughs> just, just to mess with them. I was like, you know, just because that's what you're supposed to do in California. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that reference. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. But you were, were, you were, were you born in Hawaii, Lane? Or, or did you just grow up there or what? So I, I grew up here in Hawaii. And then I went to school up in uh, Washington State. Okay. Uh, and then I worked there for about a dozen years. After. Okay. But you know, Hawaii's expensive. Starter homes here about eight hundred grand. Probably more wow. expensive than California. So wow. and, and the jobs here, the pay is pretty poor. I guess because they don't have to they don't have to entice talent to come out here because it's paradise <laughs> to be in about. But it, I don't know, it's it's just hard place for, for regular people to to exist out here. Is yeah, I saw that on your website okay. that you that you were um that, you, that was one, one thing you said on your website, which is that your, it sounds like one of your goals was to build up enough passive income that you could actually move back to Hawaii, right? Well, yeah, it happened. <laughs> yeah, it happened. That's awesome. So, so was that like, a, was that like a, a big goal of yours or is it just, was it just convenient or what did that look like? Um, it was a pretty big goal of mine. I mean, I was up there in Seattle working for probably about a decade, yeah, a little over a decade kind of just saving my money, buying investments slowly. And then after a while, you know, when your income exceeds, you know, your passive income exceeds a certain level, you, you kind of, you know, start to start to eat some of the fruit off of your hard work, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just a quick uh, Hawaii question, I guess, um, regarding the workforce. I've been wondering since there's kind of an uprising of remote work, has that affected, you know, that type of lifestyle? Because I feel like people randomly in Minnesota or people on an island have more opportunity to actually, you know, have better paying jobs. Do you know if that's affected like that area? Yeah, I mean, you're kind of talking about like the remote worker who's kind of got like a digital lifestyle. Like to, 
to me, those people are kind of few and far between. I know like in our world, like it seems like everybody has a crazy <laughs> internet business with a podcast. <laughs> but I think a lot of those type of people, they'll come to Hawaii and just see the prices and just, you know, to them with no affinity or no family here, it makes no sense to come to Hawaii. I'm just going to go live in Vietnam or um, or is the, the Panama, right, or Belize for a tenth of what it costs here as long as your Wi-Fi works. Interesting. Yeah, I was going to say that that's probably more, they're, they're, you know, the digital nomads are more attracted to Thailand or something like that where they can get away with make kind of uh, saving a lot of their money or getting getting more bang for their buck, you know? Right, right. But, you know, if you're looking for a place that's America and it has all the comforts of America and some of the bad things, um, you know, Hawaii's, <laughs> Hawaii's pretty up there. But, I don't know, it's very similar to San Diego. It, you know what, man? I, I thought that exact same thing. When I was there, I was like, you know, this reminds me a lot of San Diego. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I didn't grow up here and I had friends and family, um, I'd probably go to San Diego. Or, or Austin or, or Dallas, one of those three. Yeah, you know, go ahead. Sorry, 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 go ahead. No, you guys are. Okay. Do you feel like the other islands are different though? Because I thought Oahu was kind of from just from family experience of what I've heard. Uh, Oahu is like the busybody kind of big city feel, whereas I've been to Kauai and it was very relaxing and, you know, I've been to San Diego and I actually went there last year for my anniversary saying like okay where's the cheapest place i can go that's most like hawaii and i was like okay let's go to san diego and <sighs> it just didn't didn't cut it for me like yeah. I, it wasn't like hawaii so like is that just generally that island that you feel is similar to san diego or yeah i, don't I mean oahu i mean here's the skinny like oahu is like where your city is at i mean most of the population is on this one island um, and that's why I like, I like the city. I like, you know, good restaurants. I like civilization. I like the hustle and bustle, um, to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, like Maui, Kauai, Big Island. I would go crazy there more than like four days. <laughs> okay. So that's just not me. But most people love Maui, Kauai, Big Island because they're coming from like the hustle and bustle of the U.S. mainland. So it's, it's... True story. Yeah, that's what they're looking for. But you know, when you're talking about pace to live, I think it's usually different. What you're, what you're kind of looking for for vacation. Yeah, I, mean, I have like a little cheat sheet on my website because a lot of people, a lot of my investors will visit me. Um, if you guys are just looking for like insider information of stuff I like to do, um, that's at simplepassivecashflow.com/slash/retreat. It's like all the re- the restaurants that I like. Um, if you notice, I don't have too much stuff on Maui or Kauai, but everything's on Oahu. Okay. It's a great cool. resource. Cause I've been to, I've been to Maui and Oahu and like Maui was re- like really nice for that reason where you like, that's what, how I felt when I went there, like I was really getting away. Whereas when I went to, and so that was a very unique feeling cause I hadn't really experienced Island life before that, but then going to Oahu, uh, like Lane's saying, I really felt like I could just be in, I don't know, like San, San Diego is what came to my mind. I, I think probably because of the the military presence that if part of, is part of it. There's a little bit of that military culture in Oahu. Mm. And uh, same thing as in San Diego. There's a huge military base. Like a lot of the a lot of the people you'll run into at bars and stuff are actually working for the military in San Diego. I, I, don't, I haven't experienced that in 
Oahu, but it might be the case. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, big military <laughs> presidents out here for sure. Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to explore more. That sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my so box. So, Lane, did you what? How what got you started on this uh, path towards you know doing the business you're doing now and building up this passive income? How'd you go from being an engineer to that? Yeah, I mean, I I was kind of like a lot of um, you know folks who got an engineering degree, and a lot of us were told to study hard, get a good job work at that job for 40 years. So, you know, I graduated, I became a construction supervisor off the bat. And then um, I didn't like my job because I mean, who does, right? Who likes their first corporate job? And I followed the dogma of buy your house to live in, right? Which I mm. definitely, I don't believe in for most people. I don't mm. think people should buy their own house and instead take the money and rent and rent out uh, homes that you buy as rentals. Um, so because that first job was hundred percent travel and I didn't like it, um, I was trying to find ways to make money. And one obvious way was like, well, this house that I'm only at home one day a week, cause I travel the rest of the time, I'm just going to rent it out. So that was where I got the bug for all of this. And the, the rents that I got were like 2,200 a month that the tenant paid. And then my mortgage was 1,600. Mm. And for a, a young 20 year old something kid, that was a lot of beer money. And I was like, crap, I gotta like do this again and again and again. Cause this is my ticket out of this stupid rat race. <laughs> so that was really where it all began. And, and back then I didn't know anything about how to analyze deals, like the rent to value ratio being 1% or higher or, you know, where I bought it at. I, I didn't know any of that type of stuff. All I knew was I was cash flowing and that cash flow was addictive because, you know, with that money, I could have the freedom to buy even more assets that cash flow. Can you elaborate a little bit more on, I guess, your philosophy of how people should be getting housing? So are you feeling like people should be renting instead or they should own the house and rent it out? What was, can you uh, clarify that? Yeah, I mean, it's all about arbitrage. Like, where do you get your highest return on your money? I mean, most people will buy the house to live in and tell themselves this silly lie that when they were renting, money just went down the tube, which is totally not true. Um, most people will own a house to live in and that house will just go up with the pace of inflation. Mm -hmm. um, whereas when you're a landlord or investor, you know, you, you're getting the same thing, but your your tenant is paying down your mortgage for you, and allows you to buy even more houses instead of just the one that you live in. Um, but it depends. I mean, it, it it sort of depends on where you live in the United States. Um, if you're in what we call primary markets like Seattle, San Diego, Hawaii, New York, Boston, you're in a primary market, and you probably shouldn't buy a place to live in. You, should, you know, do the latter, like I said. But if you're in a place like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, where the rent to value ratios are a little bit closer to where you can cash flow, maybe you should buy at that point. So, it's, but I, I, I'm, my whole website, my whole shtick is like just dispelling all these bad financial advice that kind of was, we were programmed since kids to follow that really only benefits 
Wall Street companies and their agendas to keep making money at the expense of us hardworking Americans. So is that is that bad advice fundamentally? This idea that you should buy a house to live in, or is there other is there other bad advice you come across a lot? Yeah, I mean, you know that that's that's one because all these like brokers and real estate agents they want to make their money, right? All these banks want us to originate mortgages so they can make these nice origination fees. Um, and then, you know, I, I personally don't invest in my retirement accounts or any of the stock market mutual fund stuff. I mean, to me, they're all retail investments where only the insiders get rich. And, um, you know, I mean, I think you see it when the stock market goes up and down for really no reason. Mm-hmm. I think just on an investing side, I think it also depends on, you know, What are your priorities? As I was talking to one of my family members who just kind of works the nine to five job, he's just like, oh, I have this money sitting around and I kind of want to invest it, but I don't know if I want to put the effort. So something like a Roth IRA, you know, may be good for that type of person. But if you're proactive, you know, I think this would be a very good avenue to have either properties or, you know, stocks or whatever. But Right, right. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not for like, you know, super active investing, like flipping house or wholesaling. I don't do any of that stuff. To me, that's, that's a pain. And, you know, I, I think that's fine if people like to do that. But the kind of brand of investing I do is more passive, something that everybody can be doing. And, and that's the strange thing with, you know, most everything. If you get a little bit good at it, you have like a exponential amount of returns or benefit coming back at you, you know, in most things in life. So I kind of want to take it back to the sort of the, the basics a little bit, because I think a lot of our listeners are probably at where you might have been at when you got started on this journey. Um, so like, what did that look like? So you, you've got that first house. How did you scale that after that? Yeah. So um, the way I buy houses, there's no tricks, no games, right? None of this these stuff that people trick you into spending 30, 40 grand for some education on some magical trick. Um, I just buy, I just save my money and I use the government subsidized Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans where you need a 20% down payment to um, purchase these, these houses. And these, these loans can be found at any bank out there. Um, You know, certain loan underwriters are better than others. You know, people are really serious, you know, they can contact me and kind of work with my folks I've worked with in the past, but you know, a lot of this stuff, loans are commodities and you need to be buying houses that are commodities too, that people can rent. So did you, did you purchase your first house? Was it, was it somewhere nearby? Cause one, one thing I have, cause I'm, I'm really interested in getting into real estate myself. One thing I have is I don't really want to invest nearby per se, because I feel like the market sort of like it's not really the best time to invest around here. However, I can see other places as being a possible good opportunity. Was that in your mind back then or how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, initially I bought where I live, right? Which is how most people do it. And you know, <laughs> once you hear that word, how most people do it, you need to pause and think if you really should be doing that because typically that's not the case. Um, but I, the way I, I do my investing, I invest where the numbers make sense live where I want. So what that means is, you know, like we were saying earlier, primary markets, you sort of, we, st- we stay away from primary markets because we don't have the rent to value ratios necessary to be able to cash flow. And, and the rent to value ratio 
you take the monthly rent and you divide it by the purchase price. Mm. So, um, like a hundred, like a thousand dollar a month rent, um, on a hundred thousand dollar house, which is pretty much typical. What, what I used to buy back in the day is 1%. So what you're looking for is a ratio of 1% or higher to be, mm. to, and at that point you're, you're pretty much going to be able to cash flow. And you, know, you guys are in California. Look, you're not going to find anywhere that's going to do that unless it's in a war zone <laughs> area. <laughs> it, it, no bueno, as they say. <laughs> it's not going to work. I mean, you're yeah. here in Hawaii, you'll be lucky to find a $500,000 house, period. Wow. And that's going to rent for like twenty five or 2000 bucks. That's like less than half a percent rent to value. Mm. So that's that's kind of where the you know the first level of numbers come in and initially i didn't do that but i bought a house in birmingham remotely i never saw it um i just built a team of property managers and brokers out there and i bought it and it worked for me and then i sold my two seattle rentals and i bought um nine out of state in birmingham atlanta in indianapolis and that was how i kind of scaled from there but for a lot of people getting started, you know, likely if you're in the coastal cities or these primary markets, you're going to have to look elsewhere into more secondary markets like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Memphis, Little Rock, um, you know, places like that, the second tier cities, not as sexy places to live. <laughs> but affordable. Right. Could you, um, I guess just kind of give an overview of what you do because I think, you know, we haven't clarified of like, okay, so I believe you do properties. Like, do you have some sort of philosophy to, you know, what draws your eye? Like, what do you do? What is your job description? Yeah. So I have two sides of my business. I run um, big, we buy big apartment deals and we bring um, investors along with us who are um, looking for returns and not looking to do anything. Um, but on my other side of the house, I run an education side, um, which kind of started from my podcasts um, that I started in 2016, which, I mean, I had a lot of friends who were asking me how I was buying these properties in Birmingham and I never visited it. And, you know, all my friends would ask me questions and they would never do it. So I made this podcast. So I wouldn't have to repeat myself a gazillion times. And I would just kind of put it up on the internet and um, as kind of my journey, follow my journey type of story. Um, and then it got popular. And now I kind of just help people get started, um, do some e-courses and, um, you know, I, I kind of refer them to the right folks and just get people started on that side of the business. Do you, do you monetize that side of the business? Yeah, so I have a group of um, mostly accredited investors. So guys are million-dollar net worth above or they make over 250000 a year that I have a, a group coaching format. So we have a closed mastermind group. That's kind of how I mainly monetize that. Um, of course, I have you know some of the lower-dollar e-courses for people. But you know a lot of the, the, the basics are on my website for free, right? I mean, that was it's kind of a dual goal, right? Pay the bills, but, and allow me to quit my stupid engineering job that I finally did a, a year ago. And 
how do you know, there's a lot of people that you know shouldn't pay for coaching, right? They're just getting started. Their net worth is under ten grand, and they need every single dollar to go buy that first rental property. And for those people, they can just read the website, <laughs> listen to podcasts. <laughs> Yeah. That's really interesting that you got started on the podcast a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm guessing you probably have learned a lot along the way. What are some of the, the, the major things you've learned about, about podcasting since you started? I mean, just always improving, right? I mean, let's, I, I used to listen to podcasts since like 2010. So I kind of knew the medium. I, I knew as a listener what people like kind of liked. And I think a lot of a lot of this is just marketing, right? And I think a lot of marketing is just empathy and putting yourself in your listener's shoes. Like whenever I write an email out to my list, I'm like, what the heck do they want? You know, mm -hmm. what's in it for them? You know, I can, I can start drafting an email, but I can get halfway through and be like, like what the heck did this, what does it, what, what's in it for them? Right. And right. Just blip up blabbling about something stupid. That means something to me. Right. I think, I think that has really helped me um, along the way. And that kind of translates into the podcast. Like what does the listener want to hear? What are the goodies that they want? Interesting. I have just a quick question. Um, so I guess to go towards and help out the newbies out there for, I guess, investing, you know, think, you know, back to your younger self, what would be, I guess, your advice either to yourself or, to someone who wants to invest, but maybe, you know, maybe they don't have the full funding that, you know, they would like to have, but they want to start investing and get passive income. Do you have any advice to those people of how they can start that journey? And, you know, what should they do first? Yeah, I mean, like in anything, you're trying to find people who are kind of of your same pedigree. And I... I didn't have that much money when I started. Luckily, I didn't have too much student debt too when I graduated. But I made a pretty good salary and I was really frugal. So I was able to save, you know, thirty to $50,000 a year, which I used to buy rental properties on a, on a pretty routinely basis. Um, but, you know, the, the brand of investing that I do requires money. I mean, that's essentially what investing is, taking capital you have and growing it. Um, and I say this respectfully, but just to save people's time. But if you don't have money, you can't invest. You got a money problem. So you're going to have to find a way to make money. And that's what's the beauty of real estate investing is that it is something that's a hard asset that has great tax benefits. And your wealth doesn't really decay once you get it into real estate. So to me, the best the best plan and for a lot of my clients, you know, high paid doctors, engineers, entrepreneurs, is they kick butt doing something else, but they, when they make the profits, they convert it into real estate for long-term legacy growth that way. I like that point that you're making. So it's not, it's not some sort of a get rich quick scheme at all. It's something that you do. It's something that you can be smart, a way that you can be smart with your money, once you've made it another way. So you, it's not, it's not going to solve that initial problem of how do I make the money? It's just an answer. What do I do with the money? Right. Right. I mean, I'll have, I'll do like free coaching calls, which I'll put on my YouTube channel a lot of times. And it's for a lot of the lower net worth guys. It's like, 
hey, dude, you like, when can you save up 20 grand to go buy a rental property, you know, for a hundred, you know, it's just pretty much, and it turns into sort of like a personal finance game, All right? You got to cut the fat somewhere. You're going to have to save some money, you know, income as expenses on your personal side. Um, you know, the, the investing, I mean, it's pretty much, um, there's not much to it. You buy properties once you save up 25 grand. How has... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're right. I just, I just, it's just interesting. <laughs> How has the virus, I guess, affected you and I guess your overall businesses? And I also just like another side question, because at least around here, I've been seeing a lot of nice and decently affordable houses pop up. Like, do you feel like it's a good time to buy a good time to invest now? Because of the whole, you know, craziness that's going on. And how is that affecting you, first of all? I mean, I don't really care about the whole, like, you know, COVID-19. I mean, you know, it's obviously sad that people are dying and getting sick. But in terms of the economy, I don't really care. Um, I, I buy for cash flow. So the rents that are being brought in minus all the expenses yields a, a return month after month. So, you know... I don't really buy thinking what the price is, um, you know, but that's kind of why I've moved on to the more of the apartment buildings because in commercial real estate, the price is dictated by the income being brought in. And if that doesn't really waver, then you, your prices stay intact. But, you know, that's why I don't like the house flipping model because that requires you to be selling in a good market where mm. the brand of investing I do is more of a cash flow based model where it's just a month to month, month to month basis. You know, are you bringing in more rents than what you pay on in expenses? How much risk is there in that? Is there is there a lot of fluctuation, or is there a lot of risk, or what does that look like? I mean, that's why you know the 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 rentals that we will kind of focus on are more in B and C class. Like we we stay away from the class A luxury stuff. Mm -hmm. We stay where the majority of the United States population, which are people, you know, just kind of above the poverty line, unfortunately, making, you know, 40 grand to a hundred grand a year. You know, mm -hmm. these are the guys in $600 a month to $900 a month apartments, a good quality value, uh, real estate for the work workforce class. And it, it, that stays pretty much the same, I'm guessing then, because those people are sort of in that, that area. There's always a demand for that, that kind of housing. So it, it stays, relatively the same there's not a whole lot of risk there yeah i mean if if the average guy who makes 45 grand a year is um having trouble you know we got global issues <laughs> <laughs> gotcha gotcha i mean that that's why it's important to diversify over different asset classes too like i'm, I'm in mobile home parks you know because that's a that's an even more recession proof asset class in my opinion um, you know, like that, you're always going to need that type of housing and it's not going away. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Do you feel like maybe you touched on this a little bit, but just, I don't know. I, I've definitely been considering buying a house now, just, I guess on a personal level, do you think it's actually a good time to buy? Do you think that things are going to go lower? I don't know if you have any insight on I, that. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, and I don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, true like, story. It, I, I tell my guys, like, look, if it's in a good B-class area or, or, or better and it cash flows, all day, man. Buy it all day. <laughs> right? Because if yeah. the market goes up and down, who cares? We just hold on to it for cash flow. And it takes the stress out of life, right? I mean, that's why... That's why I'm like my URL is like simple passive cash flow because it's really simple, right? People people try to complicate things too much. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I think you're thinking. I think Sarah. I think I, I tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like you're thinking maybe a little more locally because here in California we have a very unique housing situation, right? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Like, because right now housing is really high in California. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, you know, I guess it's yeah, a rather yeah. personalized thing. And I, I mean, is that, is, so let me kind of dig a little deeper. Is that more for like, to you to live in there personally? Or are you looking to make it buy an income property? Um, it's actually like a combo, actually. Like, I definitely would like to get into um, properties. And my family has been, you know, thinking about that we go in together and, you know, start investing in some properties. And I've been seeing some good stuff go up, but I keep hearing like mixed reviews like, oh, you know, now's not a good time or it's about to go lower or, you know, but then again, it's kind of like the stock market, like who really knows? Right, and... right. I mean, one one thing to anything financial, don't take any financial advice from someone who's not financially free. There's a <laughs> lot of true. opinions out there. Yeah, yeah. that's That makes so much sense. But I mean, okay. I mean, if, if you're going to like, have that thing to rent out, number one, you're not going to have the rent to value ratios to be able to cash flow. So you're betting on the property appreciating. To me, I don't gamble. I Rule number one of investing is don't lose money. So how do you ensure that you invest for cash flow? Um, and, and like, I, I mean, just look at all like what's happening now. You can't even evict tenants. <laughs> like yeah. what the heck right like i only <laughs> invest in red states because you know it sounds heartless but if people don't pay they can't stay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Simple>. <laughs> you know? which was kind of like why i was asking earlier of like how is this affecting you because i know like here you're not allowed to you're you know during all of this you're not supposed to evict people or you know uh, kick them out if they're not paying rent and yeah I was just curious if, like if people have stopped paying rent if this is like a big problem for people with rental properties and because no. I've heard that a lot of people aren't paying rent yeah that, I mean that's a big thing in the socialist capital of California <laughs> but you know as an investor you try and invest where the the rules are stacked on your side whether despite your political um, position or, or whatnot yeah. Um, an another thing about like like these rentals is like you're trying to buy in like that that um the workforce housing area, you know, so that if bad things do happen, you know, this is that that's where all these like these yuppies when they lose their job they come back to your B class <laughs> workforce housing type of product, um, more value, good bang for their buck. Um, yeah. Yeah. And. And another reason why I stopped investing in Seattle, which is very similar to San Diego or LA or San Francisco is quite frankly, is just, there's just a lot of dumb money in these areas. There's so high salaries and all these guys have this in their head that they should own real estate. But mm. 
as we're seeing here, there's all these different types of real estate, different classes, different regions in the world. And well, but most people are just too lazy to leave their local area. And I just don't compete with those people. I mean, that's why I don't buy rentals here in Hawaii because I'd be competing with unsophisticated, just Chinese money, just trying to launder their money out of their own country. And to some respects, a lot of that's happening in California too. Mm, interesting. Um, but you know, if, if you were to twist my arm and say like, what, what do I, what's in my crystal ball for California? <laughs> like to me, this whole COVID-19 hit the coastal areas pretty hard first. And they're the ones who are also the most like, the, the, the fear mongering media is more in the coast. Yeah. Mm, right. I mean, I was talking to my buddy today. I mean, this is late April in Texas and like their, their mayor, the governor, they, they don't even use the term stay at home. They're like, what? Like, we don't, we don't wear masks. You know, we just have our guns, you know, that's the <laughs> attitude out there. Shoot the virus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, conserve your bullets in the process. Right. But, I mean, that's, that's just the attitude out there. And, and rent, that's why I don't really like to buy houses because it's, it's the prices determine off comps, comparable sales, not um, net operating income, which is all based on numbers like commercial real estate. So what impacts comps? Well, emotion does. It's all emotion. What the last property buy, bought from the last emotional buyer or, this, or what the emotional seller did determines the prices. And I just don't want to be involved in that type of stuff. And I, I think you're seeing it now. I mean, there's a lot of fear going around. And to me, I wouldn't want to be holding on to real estate in those type of areas, especially if it doesn't cash flow. So, sorry, did you say that that's why you don't buy houses? Yeah, that's why I don't buy houses, but that's especially why I wouldn't buy houses in primary markets. Okay, so you're, you're more I mean, investing I, in... Yeah, what I mean buying houses, I would buy a place to live in. Primary residence. Okay, buy a place to land. Yeah. Okay, okay. Sorry, yeah. I was gonna say I was a little confused there for a second. That's all. That that's makes a lot of sense though. I like that. I like that idea of looking elsewhere because I think Sarah. I think like people around here and people in California and the coast, we kind of tend to just look nearby and be like, oh, uh, it's not a good time to buy because you know, yeah. During the recession, it was a good time, somewhat good time to buy. Like you could actually make money back then. Um, yeah. Like if you bought a house in, during the recession, and sold it, you could make a you could make a good bit of money. But like right now, I feel the same way as you, which, which is that like if I wanted to buy a home for myself now, probably around here wouldn't be a very good time. But I like this idea of this, this kind of concept that Lane has where it's not really about that. It's about something else. You know, yeah. it's about the cash flow. So I think that's really interesting, really inspiring, actually. I mean, I mean in fact, like I'm actually really against like, like younger folks to buy houses to live in, despite that's what we've been told since we're kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, see, see, here's my argument. Um, you know, I don't know what's what's a starter home down there. What six hundred or something like that? Uh, yeah, around there. I'd say. Yeah, there's I mean, some so, good like three hundreds in my area. Oh, wow. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's split the difference. Let's call it five hundred, right? In Joe's area, I would say yes. Yeah, but for a, for a family <laughs> here, right? We're not talking a single person. You know, oh no, just, they're like three yeah. bedroom houses that are like <laughs> 300 and something. Um, in San but, Diego? 
Oh, we're I don't San live in we're San Diego. Diego. We're in San Francisco. Oh, okay, okay. Well, but it's that... worse. It's worse here. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're here. You're you're lucky to get something for. It depends on where you are. You're lucky to get something for. Not in San Francisco. If you live out in East Bay, for example, you can get something maybe for, maybe for eight hundred thousand or something. I don't know. That's probably that's probably yeah. really bad. I mean, so so let's use that example like six hundred, just kind of. Yeah. For. You know, because that's the price. That's the price of a family who's making you know 150 grand at their day job. Um, yeah. That's the kind of price target they're going after. So they're going to need a 20% down payment unless they want to get killed with interest and PMI. And so they're going to need 120 grand. Um, so the first reason why they shouldn't do it is now they're going to create this big um, monthly mortgage that they're going to have to pay. And I'm just doing the math off the top of my head. Maybe that's about $3,000 a month. And for a lot of families, that's, that's a big portion of their, their take-home pay. And the, yeah. the general rule of thumb is you don't want anything higher than a quarter of your take-home. Um, second thing is like you've taken away that liquidity and that liquidity could have bought four or five houses in the Midwest, each cash flowing a few hundred bucks a month. Right. And coupled that with that first point where the family has is stricken with this monthly obligation. Now their cash flow is gone in their, in their personal budget. They have no options. So they've essentially mortgaged their future. So a real estate agent can get a nice little paycheck and a loan officer can get a, get a nice little paycheck, but they've effectively screwed each themselves over. They ran out of options. Whereas yeah, I, like I totally, what I ad, yeah. what I advocate I totally is like take take half of that money, go buy two houses with it. <laughs> and then now you have the 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 monthly cash flow to go buy maybe a, a rental property every single year. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean it took me a long time to get up to eleven rentals, like six, seven years. Wow. But once I did that, I mean my 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 holdings excellently grew from there. With that being said, um, I guess for someone who is wanting to invest, like for say they're wanting to do properties, um, at what point do you look at your bank account and say, now's the time? Do you, is there, do you think a certain number that could really get you started? Yeah. I mean, my, my prescription is to buy a, a house in a secondary tertiary market um, remotely in a place like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, yada, yada, yada. And that's going to be $100,000 to buy something that's 80% of the median home price where a good blue collar, white collar mixed family will be able to um, have a nice three bedroom, two bath. Um, I think for a lot of us in primary markets, that's a big culture shock that you can buy a $100,000 class oh, yeah. B property. Would you buy that outright? Would you like, just like no, actually he's, lay saying, down. he's saying you would pay down 20%, right? And yeah, oh, 20%, put down 20%. Okay. So, you know, 20, 20 grand for that down payment and then maybe have an extra five grand on the side for some cash reserves. So once you, once you got 25 G's, get, get going. Time <laughs> is the most important thing. I, I know places in out there in like the Rust Belt and out there in the Midwest that you can, I, I, I'm trying to think, I'm kind of, I think I've seen like houses, like, you know, actual houses, I know this is going to sound shocking, Sarah, but I've seen actual houses for like 60 grand out there. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you can, you can buy class C houses for 60 grand that'll rent for 800, 850. 
Yeah. But in my experience, it's just not worth it. Like those are more C, C minus class house mm-hmm. houses. Mm-hmm. I prefer to go after like the B minus B B type. You know, just a little bit. Your return, your your returns aren't going to be as high, but your headaches are aren't going to be. <laughs> so I I'm all about like what's the sweet spot. Yeah, totally. That's smart. I like that. And then, so I guess we're kind of about out of time here, but I wanted to ask one more thing. Is there, are there any other investments that you're currently looking at that are, you know, separate from real estate, some like past ways to make passive income apart from real estate? Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of like crypto and all that kind of nonsense. Um, mm-hmm. I do like life settlements, uh, mobile home parks, um, pretty much all commercial real estate other than, you know, office space. Um, I like oil and gas, um, but you know, a lot of this is just hard, tangible assets, right? You're buying businesses.